Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Kershaw Choksi started his career as a quantitative analyst with Goldman Sachs. His new book, On a Wing and a Prayer, chronicles his escape from the World Trade Center on September 11th, 2001, and the emotional journey towards redemption that followed. Managing to narrowly escape, he witnessed the magnitude of death and destruction up close and was plunged into a lengthy depression where he found himself believing life was meaningless. His search for a renewed purpose began with a trip to a breathwork workshop and eventually turned into a journey of spiritual discovery, metaphysical experiences, and a fierce devotion to the life-altering benefits of mindfulness and meditation. He and his wife now run Elements Truffles, a New York-based artisanal chocolate company built on values of sustainability, giving back, and ethical trade. Kushal Choksi, what an honor it is to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Thanks, Casey. Thanks for having me. It, it is such an honor. I love the term chocolatier, which is what you kind of are now. When I first heard the term chocolatier, it made me think of like probably the most like beloved Marvel comic hero of some kind, like the, the hero of chocolate or something, or like one of the musketeers or something. Um, how did you get into making chocolate? Well, um, my wife and I, we worked on Wall Street long enough to think that, okay, fine, uh, we've done this enough. And we really ought to do something that absolutely makes us happy, follow our passion. And so about six years ago, we gave into that um, quixotic idea, if you, if I may say, and uh, we started, uh, you know, a chocolate company because that was something very close to our heart. You know, we always, we, we both are foodies and we always thought, hmm, our relationship over a period of time with food has become so complicated. You know, every time when we go towards food, it's whether it's celebration or going for some comfort, we always turn the label around, you know, the package around, look for calories, look for sugar, all that stuff. And I say, it did not be so complicated. So why don't we do something that's, that can help simplify one's personal relationship with food? And we use Ayurveda, the 5,000-year-old sister science to yoga, um, as our vehicle to help us get there. Um, but yeah, we wanted to create something at the intersection of clean food and chocolate, uh, which, which is something we both are very enthused and passionate about. And that's how Elements Truffles were born. That's amazing. I'm sure it comes with its own stresses and things to worry about, but by and large, it seems like a near opposite experience to working in finance in New York City. Is that correct? Oh, Casey, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, was a, there was a point in time where my, you know, uh, a basis point of interest rate movement or coming off employment data, which would throw off, you know, markets and move millions around the markets. Those kind of things would stress me out. And now when I was a trader on Wall Street and, and now what perhaps the, 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 it has changed, the stressor has changed is, hey, today UPS truck did not show up to, to pick up our jobs. <laughs> so that's the extent how the stressors have changed. I love that. That's fantastic. Well, you have an amazing story to tell. I want to start at the very beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing? Sure. Um, you know, I, I grew up in India. Um, I was born and raised there. And I grew up in a very, um, you know, a small town, you know, very modest resources and kind of always grew up reading about or, or looking at what the world is and where it could lead to. And of course I had, I had heard from some of the um, migrant families and about, about the United States. And I always wanted to come there and, and 
sort of make my own mark and see, you know, to live that American dream, if you will. So yeah, I, 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 I studied engineering um, and I, I was, I worked in India for some time. And then when my, when the right opportunity came, uh, I came to us for, for further studies. Mm. So is that part of why you think you were so driven in your career is that you came from a more modest background? I think so. I mean, there was always this thing of, um, you know, I want to, I, I want to prove myself um, that I know that despite of this background, I want to show the world that I can still do it. So there was that element of wanting to, um, I mean, in, in retrospect, it was, it was so perhaps childish, but yeah, there was, there was that thing in me where I was like, I want to get out of this, this uh, small town. And I want to, maybe someday go to a big city like New York and, and, and do some, there was, I, I remember there was, um, when I was in, in, in 10th grade or something in high school, one of my teachers, he came in and on the first day of the class, he asked this question that, do you guys want to be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond? And everybody was saying, Oh, small fish in a big pond, big fish in a small pond. And then he turned around and says, how come nobody's saying you want to be a big fish in a big pond? And that was something that really kind of stuck with me. And I'm like, wow, that, that is, there is an option like that also. So, you know, those were kind of the drivers uh, that, that were built into my own conditioning from a, from an early age. Mm. You mentioned you studied engineering. When did you start to get into finance? Uh, Actually, I, I studied engineering and, and math, and once I, I, I was studying here, I, I was pursuing computer science in my master's program here, and when I came to New York as my, uh, as my first job, that's when I, it opened up my eyes to the world of finance, and th- that's when um, I, my, my first job was, was on a trading desk, uh, but I was, I was helping traders. I was not in finance per se, but I was, I was coding models for them. Like I was working on models that would eventually help them trade. And that's when the whole thing shifted to a kind of move towards trading. That was, that's where the seeds were sown. I see. Gotcha. Before we talk about September 11th, I want to back up one day to September 10th. And obviously you won't have direct memories of September 10th, but I want to know what was a day in the life like for you? Like describe a normal day um, that would have been like September 10th, the day before. Well, um, frankly, all the, all the years that I spent on Wall Street leading up to that day were all the same, <laughs> which was, um, and more or less, I could say the same, both weekdays and weekends. We'd, we'd work crazy hours and, um, you know, wake up early in the morning, get to the trading desk, thinking about what all things you had to do that day, go there. And there's, there was not a, not a single dull moment, you know, how animated the trading desks are. Um, so I would be sitting out there in the corner of a trading desk and, and kind of working away on the stuff. Um, there's so much screaming and there's just so much adrenaline, so much, um, the, the nerves are so frayed and everybody's shouting, screaming. It's just one of those days. And before you, you, you know, it's, it's the closing bell and it's 5 PM. Um, then you do stuff to take care of for the next day. And by the time you come home, it's like eight, 9 PM. And, and the, the, the whole thing starts again the next day and perhaps would extend into the weekend. So 
it was all a, a blur. It was a it was a constant um, um, sort of a, a, on, on that belt that I was running, um, chasing one bonus after the other, wanting to get up the the rung of the corporate ladder. All that was was constantly um, it was constantly going on. Wow. Interesting. So the morning of September 11th, I remember from some of the cameras um, that were showing like the normal news that we saw afterwards looked like an absolutely beautiful morning. I'm assuming it just felt like a normal day for you. How, how did the events of that day unfold? Yeah, it was like you said, it was a very normal morning for me on my way to work. And I was in North Tower um, on the second floor when the first plane hit. Um, and of course, no one had any idea what had happened, but suddenly there was a pandemonium. The, I mean, the, the second floor, the mezzanine floor was um, was where all the commuters kind of came, poured out of the subways and, and went out in all different directions uh, towards their, um, their own buildings. And I was in, the, in, in that swarm of commuters in that morning and suddenly this big, loud bang sort of, kind of froze everyone for, for a second. Just imagine people going in all different directions and then everyone pauses for a second. And then it erupts into some sort of madness. People are screaming. Nobody had no, nobody knew what had happened, Casey. Nobody knew that that plane had hit, but as if there was a palpable fear in the, in the air that gripped everyone. And, and so people were shouting. There was, I remember one, one fellow speaking on the phone saying, a bomb has gone off. And, you know, just people were just it was just a panic and chaos. And, um, you know, I, I, I thought whether to go back down in the train and, and run away from it, but I thought, you know, let me, I'm just going to go out. And as I was going out, as I was stepping out, there was this well-meaning security person who was asking everyone to go back in. If you worked here, go back to your desks. If you don't work here, just stay in the center of the building because because it was unsafe outside, you know, there was all sorts of, um, you know, splinters and, and, and cement chips, all that kind of was raining after the explosion. Um, and so it was very unsafe to be outside. And he was asking everyone, just go in, just go in. But, you know, I stepped out, I stepped out. And as I'm looking at, um, as I'm looking at the building, I'm looking at the whole in the, in the building, in the facade, um, kind of trying to process what had happened, another aircraft just comes from the corner of my left eye and and just pierces the south tower. And now it was very clear that this was not um, an accident of any short in, in any any sorts. It, this was some deliberate action. And and yeah, so that was me sort of caught in that whole storm um, up close and personal. Wow. It's just, it's so chilling. I, I still have the front page newspaper from September 11, 2001, and it shows just the, the crowds of people um, running away from this building that's that's starting to crumble. And you see the, the smoke and the debris and everything, and you see the direct just fear in people's eyes. And one of the side pictures shows somebody, you know, jumping and, and they're, they're head first heading down. And it's so, it's... I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's chilling. Like I said, it's, it's just, it's so hard to see. Were you part of that crowd that was like trying to run away? No. It, and I, and I saw all that in person. It was, um, 
I mean, I avoided talking about some of these because I didn't know how graphic you wanted me to get, but people jumping out of the building in front of me. Um, and, and I was also one of the, those people who were running away from the, from the cloud and plume of smoke and debris as the North Tower collapsed. Um, in fact, I was, as I was walking towards um, the east side where my office was, um, and, and the North Tower collapsed and the whole debris was just chasing us. As I, I look around and I see this, this debris is kind of moving towards us through these narrow alleys of, of Man, lower Manhattan. And um, I start running away from it. And, and, and towards the east side, there's, a, there's, a, there's an old slip where all the ferries dock and one commuter ferry was pulling out it had already pulled out and it was just moving out, sort of pulling away from the, uh, from, from the dock. And I just ran and with that momentum leapt onto the boat. And there was the last ferry that left the Island that day. And so I was kind of the, you know, it struck me later on that I was the last person to be on the last ferry that left, the, left the city uh, on that, that fateful morning. That's incredible. What kind of view did you see as you were heading away from the island? Did you get to see the whole thing? Did you watch both of the towers collapse? Or had that already happened at this point? So the first tower had already collapsed and that the dust that was chasing, you know, towards me kind of now, now that it had missed us, uh, you know, it, it had now went back and enveloped the entire skyline of the city. You could not see a single building. It was all just, you know, from the, and I'm, I'm talking about looking at lower Manhattan from the East river mm. and you would not see anything, but as the, the, the boat was headed to towards V Hawk in New Jersey. And it, as it turned around the corner on towards the lower Manhattan and came onto the Hudson, um, right in that moment, the, the other tower, the South tower collapsed. Wow. Um, wow. And so we kind of saw it from the, from the ferry. Um, and yeah, it was, it was one of those moments where on one side, there was a loud rumbling noise as the tower was collapsing, but around everywhere, including in the mine, there was complete stillness. There, nobody forget about imagining, um, nobody was even ready to process this as it was happening in front of their own eyes. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I, I, I close my eyes and that whole thing is still in front of me. Wow. Um, very vividly. Wow. Well, I really appreciate you recounting some of that, you know, the tragedy that must be terribly painful to recollect. What was your life like afterwards, after the attack happened, how, how did you start to kind of process things and what, what changed in your own personal life? Well, so, um, Initial part, initially, like I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I, for first couple of days, I just completely retrieved in, inwards, not wanting to talk about these events with anyone. But something interesting happened on, uh, for, you know, in days to follow. Um, you know, there was a part of me that was feeling really enthusiastic. That was feeling that started feeling really fortunate and and grateful that I have survived. And so the part of that part of my brain was saying, oh, yes, now that I have a new lease on life, I, I need to go after everything that I was doing with even more energy, um, all that unfinished business, if you will. 
I need to go after all that with, you know, all the more might and, and kind of get that even sooner um, before all this thing ends. But then the other part was saying, you know, hey, what's the point? <laughs> On one side, you want to work and, and, and go up this corporate ladder, work 80-hour weeks. But what's the point? Like, what if something like this were to ever happen again? It's all so fragile. Um, so that was that push and pull in, 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 my, in my head. Um, and that created a, an interesting space. I created a, a void, which I didn't know how to, how to fill and to, to kind of take care of it or, or to kind of distract me away from it. I started traveling the world. I started doing crazy things, you know, doing adventurous things, um, you know, and, and changing jobs, going from corporate to, to startups, thinking that all that would bring that that um that fulfillment that would kind of plug that hole in the soul if you will um but everything was just uh, a distraction you know i would go there do something fun go to a, a remote corner of the world and come back thinking eh, no this was not it and then next time i would raise the bar and and do something even crazier um and so this kind of persisted for um for a couple of years until one day against all my reluctance i ended up in a in a in a in a meditation session um, with gurudev shri shri ravi shankar a renowned uh, spiritual master who was traveling from india to new york and you know this is early 2000 <laughs> so this was nobody was talking about breathwork meditation there was not enough awareness about these things so I was very guarded, very reluctant about going into all these things, but somehow I I reached, somehow I ended up there. Wow. So I asked one of my really good friends, her name is uh, Melvina, um, what what listener questions she might have for a survivor of 9-11. And, you know, she was, first of all, like most of us would react like, oh my goodness, like what an experience to live through. Um, and she mentioned that she has dealt with a little bit of trauma herself. And her question to you was, how do you cope? And I think this is a good time in the story to ask that question. How how did that practice help you cope with um, dealing with so much trauma? So, um, Casey, I want to I say, like, of course, there was some sort of there was a trauma. There was um, there was this thing that oh yeah, this whole impressions of of nine eleven. But the bigger issue, which big, bigger thing that happened after. 9-11 was sort of some sort of uh, me questioning the status quo, right? That, that there had to be more to life than just this nine to five or this rat race or this, you know, American dream. There had to be a little more to life than, than what, what really met the eye. What, I could not really say what that was. So there was an interesting sort of, you know, emotions that I was experiencing on one side. Yes, there was that, oh my goodness, the whole 9-11 experience and, and, and all that aftermath of surviving that whole 9-11. But the, another thing was also, now what? What am I really doing here? So those were kind of the two main things that, that I was trying to, to, to deal with. And what I, um, the, the, strength I found in sort of, or the ability I, to, to, to deal with this was in this practice of sky breath meditation, that breathwork technique that I somewhat reluctantly um, learned 
um, which again I was not interested in at all. But but just because somebody pushed me into it, um, I learned about it, um, and you know that whole breath work has lot of um, cleansing power, if I may say. You know, and when I started looking into the research of how that helps, I realized that it worked on this science of impressions. See, when any experience we go through in life, whether pleasant or unpleasant, it leaves some sort of mark on your system, whether it's a, um, it's, it's a, a deeper scratch or it's just some sort of a, a thin little thing on your nervous system, but it leaves a, a scoff mark on your, or a lesion on your nervous system. And the more you reel into it, the deeper it becomes. And that becomes a pattern which leads to conditioning of your, of your own mind. And then everything you do in life follows that. It, it's an out, direct outcome of that. So what this sky breath does is using the rhythms of your own breath, it cleanses your nervous system of these impressions. And when that is gone, you feel natural, you feel more in the moment, you feel um, at home. And, and that is sort of state of meditation. And that, I would say, in my case, was a, the one singular biggest force that helped me tremendously as I was dealing with all these different emotions um, in me. Is it is it something that forces you to kind of feel the feelings that you've maybe pushed down inside to be able to deal with those impressions? Is it something that it's painful at first, but over time it becomes less and less painful as as you are releasing those impressions? I wouldn't say painful. I didn't. I did not have an experience of any pain per se, but it was um, it was very um, it was very gentle. It was very gentle um, to say the least. I mean. It was just sitting and breathing. And I, I still remember the very first experience I had of sky breath. And as I was breathing, all these random thoughts from 9-11 came. And then, then it just became so pleasant that I just slipped into that nothingness. It was, it was like, you know, it, it was like that sweet dream that that you you sort of wake up from. Um, and very something very pleasant. And that was my experience of, of that whole practice, the first time I'm experienced, I, I went through it. But there was no, um, there was no jarring experiences, or there were no catharsis, if you will, um, as as I was practicing. It was just very, very smooth and 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 gentle cleansing. Mm. So practically, how does how does sky meditation work? Do you breathe in a certain ways? There a certain count that you're supposed to have? Like, how does it work? Yeah. So it, it as I said, it uses your your own rhythms uh, in the breath um, that we have. And, and you just sit for about, you know, it takes about 10 minutes and you, you breathe in that certain rhythm. Initially, it, it, it'll be guided. It's a, it's a guided practice. And then, um, you know, in, you can then start doing it on your own. In, about in the th- on the third day, you can start doing it on your own. Um, so so it's, it's, I recommend everyone because it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm clearly biased. It's definitely changed my life. And, and um, it's such a, you know, I, my initial resistance towards that was I felt it was all this woo-woo stuff, yogic practices that I'm not so convinced about. But, you know, there's a ton of scientific research being done about these. And when I 
I stumbled onto this research, including the one recently done by Harvard and Yale that compared this breathwork with other modalities. Um, you know, it, I, I, clear, I was even more convinced that this was, this was the way to go. I'm glad you mentioned that. That was going to be my next question for you was how does somebody who is very much left-brained and an engineer and involved in finance, how are you able to be convinced of some of these practices that are, you know, more Eastern based and can be looked at as a little bit kind of woo-woo? Yes. And hence the whole resistance up front. Um, and, and my guards were up from the beginning to, to, uh, you know, before I, I jumped into it, but, um, you know, the first time I, I tried it, of course, there was a very, very um, beautiful experience. There was a tangible experience that I was holding on to. But the, the left brain side of me was not willing to embrace it because it was thinking, but where's the hidden muffin? You know, is there is there, is there something scientific about it or or were you part of some placebo that or did you fall asleep or was there really some in-depth relaxation that was that was an outcome of this? And so I started digging into the research and a few pieces of research that jumped out in front of me was just within the first two weeks of practicing this, this sky breath can reduce um, the, the, the stress hormone or the grief hormone um, by 56% in, in, in one system, um, you know, and then it can create the, the serotonin um, flow it starts, which is, which is something that naturally makes you feel happy. Um, it can, um, it has the ability to, to stimulate your, your vagal functions and the vagus nerve, as you know, once it's uh, activated, it's, you know, the, all the functions between our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems, uh, can be, can be balanced and can be brought us in, it has a power to bring us into that state of harmony. So all these scientific studies, I think they were about some, I, I, after point I even gave up because there were about hundred or so peer reviewed journals that were, they were, they were talking about it. And then I was like, so on one side I have, I have this tangible irrefutable experience. And on the other side, there was science that, that corroborated this experience. And so it felt like, okay, perhaps this has something I want to explore further so then I allowed myself to go deeper uh, down this rabbit hole. Mm. How did it change your career path, you know, doing this, this practice? Did, did you notice that it was, um, you know, kind of affecting your work? <laughs> it's an interesting question, Casey. You know, one of the reasons why I avoided going to a meditation workshop was because I thought that meditation would take the edge off. That it would make me so calm that I would want to give up on all my worldly passions and desires and, and ambitions. Um, and probably would force me to, to go to Himalayas and <laughs> become a monk or something. And so that was one of the reasons why I avoided it. But boy, I was wrong. And, you know, it was exactly the opposite. It gave me the ability to sort of go inwards and rest deeper so that I could have even more energy to go out and, and play harder. Um, you know, it, it gave me that, that beautiful balance between uh, activity and, and stillness. Mm -hmm. And it gave me that, of course, what I call all the side effects, the more energy, the, 
the, the clarity, the agility, all that, the, the more improved focus, all that stuff comes along with it. But I think at, at, at a deeper level, it's just one wanting to, one being able to connect with their own selves, with that inner voice, uh, which I think is very, very important as we take bigger life decisions. Mm. I think that's a really good point. I think most people would think like, hey, like I would love to be more mindful. I don't want to move to Nepal. <laughs> I, I have a family. <laughs> like I still have to do the dishes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like exactly. what kind of, how, how do people work this into their already busy lives and to, to then be able to see that they're more productive on the other side? See, oftentimes, and, and, and I'm guilty as charged of being uh, a victim of that. Oftentimes we want everything um, perfectly under control. And we want like, okay, this is exactly how my, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, figure my life out, but that almost never happens. Um, and yes, we, we are so busy right now. I mean, in, in this world, right. We are so busy with all the responsibilities and everything that that's, that we face. There's hardly any time to, for, for all these pursuits, if I may say alternative pursuits, but what I say is just allow yourself 10 minutes a day, you know, and not think about, oh, this is going to help me get there. This is going to help me do this. this is, I have to do this. Because there, guess what? There's nowhere to get using these practices. The practices are by themselves so, um, uh, so beautiful and potent that once you start doing them, you automatically you start observing the change. There is no real effort involved. And that is what that helped me a lot. Um, and that's why I kind of, the whole concept of no effort was a big, big thing for me. Because I tried to meditate before uh, when I was reading stuff about meditation and all that. And the minute I would close my eyes, all these tons of thoughts and you know to-do lists and all that thing would pop up and I would never be able to go past the thoughts. It was just so crowded in my mind that I would, I would I'm like, no, this is not for me. So it was very easy to, for me to write it off and say, no, meditation is not for me. Um, and guess what? When you have 10 minutes in a day, you would rather watch prob, uh, you know, Netflix than, than, than do something which you really think it's not working right away. But, you know, I would say just that 10 minutes of practicing this breath work, the sky breath in my case, it just gave me, you know, it, it started shifting things every day. I did not have to put any effort into it. It's like, you know, it's like once you're on the on the aircraft, running up and down the aisle is not going to get you there any faster. You just sit. You just sit and relax. So that was my experience. Once I started doing it, it just, all these things started happening automatically. And, and, and yes, one thing I had to do was commit myself to doing this 10 minutes a day, every day. Mm. And this is one of those things, right? Once you start seeing the benefits, you don't, nobody needs to tell you anymore that you have to do this. Mm. And, and what I also appreciated was that this was a path for someone who is in the world. Like how you said, those who have mortgages to pay and, and those of us who have startups to run, um, and not somebody who is who wants to give up everything and become a monk. 
So this has a beautiful balance between effort and effortlessness and being in the world and yet at the same time being so centered where if things happen, great. If things don't happen, you still move unstuck. Mm. Man, I love that analogy of the airplane and staying put rather than running back and forth through the airplane. Sometimes you can look out the window of an airplane and you can see the scenery, you can see what's below you, you can see the sky, and sometimes it's pitch pitch dark or maybe you don't have a window seat and you can't really see where you're going. What would you what would you say to somebody who they they don't know where their life is going, how long the flight is going to last? They they've got no vision for any of that. How how do you give them encouragement? Wow, I loved how you extended this analogy by saying that, you know, that that truly is life. But you're right. I mean, who knows which direction the life is headed? Um, we all think that we, we all think that it's going in the right direction, and we all do everything that we can in the best of our abilities to make it go in the right direction. I mean. If you look at it, at the end of the day, if you want to really make it land, everybody's looking for perhaps two things, freedom and happiness, right? When, if you have these two things, then you've really landed, right? Otherwise, it's just something that's, uh, you know, you, it's in progress, it's in motion. You, you, you're going for this or going for that, which you think will give you one of these two things or both. And I think, you know, as much as, we think that those aspects of our life are in things around us. To some extent, they're already within us. And just by allowing yourself to sit quietly for 10 minutes, you can tap into them. And you not only get to experience it, but you also get to experience that strength in the times when things are not going your way. Mm. So it's like... uh, it's like double dipping, you know, you, A, you get to connect with your, your nature, which is, you know, people always say, oh, be in the present moment. Don't think of past. Don't think of future. Your, your, your nature is being in the now in the, your nature is peace and joy. But how do you really do it? Is there a, is there a book where you read and can do it? No, you can't, you know, because you can't deal with these things with your own mind. The minute you try to do something with your mind, your mind is going to, you know, revolt. You you close your eyes and not think of something, that thing is going to pop up. So we can't get to this place that we've always wanted to using our own mind. Mm. But there's something you need that can help you pole vault past these things. And that's the breath. That breath is that connection between the world and your mind. Well, I just, I mean, for me personally, I always choose the window seat because I want to, I want to see the scenery and I want to feel safe and feel like I have some sense of control. So I don't love the feeling of being in the middle of the plane where I can't see where it's going, if there's turbulence or anything like that. It it is uncomfortable in life when we don't know what's next. Uh, Using the breath, is that how we can know the difference between doing and being when we need to push to get something that we want versus when we need to surrender and accept what is? I say to each their own, um, but in my case, after looking into many books, after looking into talking to many people, after trying so many different things, um, and to the extent that my wife would call me a spiritual shopper, that you're trying so many things, you, you don't even know what you want. And I'm like, yes, I don't. Um, 
I, it was the breathwork where, where my quest ended. Um, and like how you said, that subtle difference between um, doing the best you can, giving your 200%, and at some point of time, just letting go of it, just becoming a witness, just doing it, just being and just watch it unfold after you've done everything you can. That is, that is a gift to be able to do it. And that thing cannot be developed with effort. That thing cannot be developed by reading books. That has to become an, an, something that, that springs from within. So an experience that comes from within where you feel that, oh yeah, I've done everything I can and now I'm just going to sit and watch. And that is so precious to, to be able to have that feeling from inside that, yeah, I'm going to go out in the world and do everything, but at, at all times, I'm going to save my own mind and I'm going to move through things unstuck. Mm. Wow, that's beautiful. I love that. You, I've heard you talk about this before. What does it mean to be granted a bonus day? <laughs> well, I think every day is a bonus day. I think every day you wake up, it's a bonus day. Um, it's... It's that awareness when that comes that, that this is a bonus day. Or in my case, after 9-11, I felt that, yeah, this is a bonus life. That's a time when one probably tends to ask bigger questions. Otherwise, we are so stuck into our routine mundane worlds where the life is just going so fast that you look back and oh, 20, 30, 40, 50 years have gone by. And, and where am I? It's, I can't really tell a day from night. and, and you know, month from a year, but it is when such, when you realize that, oh yeah, this is a, when you realize that shift, when you realize that you're on a precipice and now this is a bonus day or a bonus life, that's when you, you begin to ask like, oh, wow, what is it that I want to do with this, this thing? How, in, in what way do I want to make it count? Do I want to make it most meaningful? Mm. It's almost freeing to know that, you know, we don't know how much time we have. We interviewed the author, Oliver Berkman, who wrote 4,000 Weeks. 4,000 Weeks is a, is a general lifespan of humans. And on the one hand, it's so horrific that we just don't have a lot of weeks here on this earth. And we're not even guaranteed 4,000. And we maybe can get that and a few more, but not many. But at the same time as being horrifying, it's also kind of liberating because you realize, you know, with your limited time, you get to choose a few things to do. You get to choose to make your little mark on the world before you step off the, the plane, so to speak. Is that kind of how you look at it? Is it more of like a liberation kind of a thing? Yeah. I mean, it's, you're right. It's a, it's a short, finite, um, time that we all are here and the way i look at it is you know in that little time that i'm here what is it that i can do or what is there one can do to to make it make it make a small difference in our own ways of course there's you know the world is so complex there's so many you know polarizing and and entirely opposing forces that are constantly at play what is it that you can do in your small little way? And perhaps, you know, there's one thing that I, I read about, um, and actually this is a, um, actually a, a scientific experiment where if you meditate 
if a 1% of the population meditates, it brings so much harmony and peace and coherence into the, the rest of the population around it. And this was a, a, a scientific experiment that was done in, in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, I believe, years ago. Um, and so, you know, I think if you want to give something back, if you want to do something, it has to start from your own self. I mean, if we are not connected with ourselves, if we are not feeling happy, if we are not feeling full, how are we going to give anything to others? So perhaps the, the, the first thing you want to do before you can do something for others is to take care of your own mind, to take care of your own stresses, to take care of your own well-being. And, and, and I, I say, Casey, meditation is the only way I've found that helps you get there. Everything else is, is something, you, you go to a vacation, you go to a mountaintop, you go, um, you go something, you, you have the best food. You, it's, everything is great, but does it last? Does, you know, do you get that feeling of ecstasy? No, you come back even more tired from a vacation. You know, it's, it's something, you know, we say, you know, in this world of meditation, that there are two dimensions to our existence. There is an outer dimension, which is, you know, everything, our relationships, our jobs, our bank balance, the house we live in, we live in even our physical body. This is all outer dimension. And inner dimension is state of our mind, how we truly feel inside. And if you think about it, most of us spend our entire time, effort, and energy in nurturing our outer dimension. But the quality of our life is governed by our inner dimension. Mm. So that's the, the disconnect right there. And so if we pay a little more attention to nurture that inner dimension, a lot can change. A lot can change. I love that. It's such a great answer. So the sky meditation is changing your life. You're feeling more at peace, more at harmony. You're feeling more connected. When did you decide that you wanted to start to talk about the events of, you know, 9-11? And when did you decide that you wanted to start to just share your message and share this meditation with the world? Well, um, I started sharing this message uh, with uh, about this meditation with the world uh, a few years ago. Um, I mean, ever since I actually experienced it, frankly, I, 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 I tried telling it to friends, hey, guys, try this. You know, this is amazing. And of course, nobody would want, back in the early 2000s, nobody wanted to listen to me. They're like, what? you? Okay, so you've gone to the other side. Uh, I'm like, no, no, try this. This is really cool. No, no, no. <laughs> so, um, but... After a few years of practicing it, um, I became an instructor to, uh, of sky breath meditation because, hey, um, I thought, what better way to, to learn um, than by teaching? So I, I, I became, and uh, so I facilitate sky breath workshops. I volunteer my time, uh, you know, teaching uh, the sky breath workshops. Um, it's sort of my way of paying it forward. Um, and um, it was about 2017 uh, or, or late 2018 when, uh, or early 2018 when I thought uh, maybe I wanted to, maybe I had a story uh, of, of last couple of decades that I wanted to put it out in front of the, uh, front of the world uh, through a book. And it was actually the whole time during the pandemic when everything came together, A, I had a lot of time and B, when again, this whole feeling the pandemic kind of 
in, evoked similar emotions, if you will, um, that I experienced after 9-11. Um, so it all came together. And, and so the, the book sort of came out um, in, in, you know, right after the pandemic. Wow. What did you learn about yourself during the pandemic? That was a very traumatic event for all of us, I think, in different ways. What, what did you learn in particular? I mean, I was just surprised at how I was able to handle with the whole pandemic. You know, a me from 20 years ago would have, would have been so miserable not being in control, not being able to, um, uh, being isolated, of course, not being able to do things I've always wanted to do kind of for, for not months, but for almost a year. Um, but I was so surprised and proud of myself how I, how I was, I was completely at peace. I was completely, you know, I saw this as an opportunity to, to slow down and um, kind of introspect and take stock of life, pause a little bit. And, and so uh, it, it really was um, to, to most part, a pleasant experience. I, I don't want to sound insensitive. Um, I of course dealt with the most profound personal loss during this time, but despite of, you know, outside of that, you know, it was an, um, a moment, uh, sort of a moment of, of life that a period of life that I really took the opportunity to go deeper uh, within. Mm. What was the process like of writing your book? Uh, did you just kind of already have an outline in mind or did you just kind of sit down and chunk it out? What was the process like? I had no outline in mind, Casey, and I, uh, you know, I'd never written before. Um, so I did not know anything about writing, uh, looking for a publisher, looking for, an, I had no idea what the whole process is. So I just started writing and I, I tell people that the book kind of wrote itself. You know, I would write and um, I would, one thing I would do is I would always meditate before I would sit to write and, and it's, it just was like a download. It was just, it, it, the book was just writing by itself. Um, I did not know how the book would end. I did not know how, what would the next chapter would look like, but it was just flowing. It, it was just flowing. That's incredible. It was a very beautiful experience to write. Wow. And it's gotten lots of praise, including one of our former guests, James Nestor was a big fan. That's incredible. I mean, he's a best-selling author as well. Um, what, what did it mean for you to publish a book and start to get praise from all kinds of different people? I'm very humbled. I'm, I'm deeply humbled and touched that this message is resonating with people. With James and I, you know, um, if you read James's book, uh, Breath, um, it's the sky breath or he, or he actually uses the Sanskrit word Sudarshan Kriya that started both our journeys. Uh, so it was a sky breath that got James onto the path of exploring deeper into the mysteries of breath. And it was a sky for me that kind of got me onto the path of going deeper um, in, into this whole field of breathwork and meditation myself. So, so yeah, we, we share that for sure. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it's, this is something so ancient, this whole breathwork, and and yet so contemporary. Um, and so I'm I'm so touched, and I'm, you know, I, I get some random emails sometimes um, from people I don't know, and when I hear that that something like this resonates with them, or or this kind of prompts them to 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 kind of take that next step, try and go a little deeper into this whole field of of infinite field of breathwork and meditation, it makes me, it makes me feel very grateful. It makes me feel that, 
that there has been an opportunity to be of some use to someone. Hmm. Was it difficult for you to include your experiences of the terror attack? Um, not really. Um, I, I, I mean, I've, I feel my life is an open book really. And I've just kept, I, I just put everything unfiltered and I wanted to, um, put it out there as is it happened so that I could, I, I really wanted to, to, to tell the world that, listen, if, if I could, then anyone can. And so for, for that to come across, I really had to put myself out there without any filters, without any fear of judgment, without, uh, without anything worrying about what people would think about me, including my ex um, Wall Street colleagues who, if you're listening. So, um, so, you know, that's why I just bared my soul and put it all out there. I love that. So on the back cover of your book, you have a phrase that I think all of us have pondered multiple times in our lives uh, from time to time. And that is, what is the point of it all? Why, mm. why did you decide to include that? And what message did you want to send with that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I cannot imagine even one human being, one soul on this planet who has ever ha not had that question. You know, whether it was 9-11 in my case or this last two years of pandemic, all of us have asked this question, what is the point of this? <laughs> what am I really doing? Am I on the right track? What's the whole purpose? A lot of times this voice comes up, this question comes up and we kind of you know, shove it under the carpet and move on with the life. We, we distract because facing this question is not easy. You know, when it looks into your eyes and, and, doesn't even bat an eyelid, it's, it can be a little unnerving to face this question um, because the process of answering is, you, you really need to go deep within you. Um, so it's a hard question to, to answer, but an important one nonetheless. And we all have questioned it. We all have, we all have experienced that moment. Um, so I would say, you know, if that question ever comes up, don't be in a rush to A, answer it, or B, to get rid of it. Sometimes just being with this question is sufficient. Just being with this question of what is the point of this? Why am I here? Where am I headed? Sometimes it's very important to be with these questions and, and kind of see where it leads you, the, answer, the process of answering to see where it leads you to. I, I'm so glad you mentioned that. This is a question that I have asked myself recently in what I would consider a pretty dark, kind of heavy time in my life. Like, wh what am I doing? Like, what's the point of any of this? And I have to say that I don't think I've got any other answers. I don't think my life has significantly changed one way or another since really trying to face it. But somehow I feel a little bit more peace or feel a little bit better with the way that things just are for now. It's, it's kind of hard to explain, but I think you just encapsulated it really well, just being with the question and, and not rushing to find an answer. Yeah, and this is something I learned from my, my teacher, uh, Shri Ravi Shankar. He says that this is this question is like a path that you you tread again and again. You walk back and forth on it again and again. So it's it's not something like I said that you may find an answer like in a snap um, or or sort of you know just just being with it because it's a it's a lifelong process. I think. 
Man, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, I'm really curious, is there anything you're working on for the future or are you just going to um, hang out and make chocolates and make truffles all the time? That sounds great too. <laughs> well, it's holiday time. That's taking most of my time right now. But but yeah, I mean, um, I, I do uh, facilitate sky breath workshops uh, and I want to continue to be able to do it. I've been very fortunate to um, to 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 teach the sky breath to thousands uh, across, you know, Asia, Europe, US. Um, and I want to do more, um, you know, because I feel every time I facilitate that, not only somebody else finds a meaning, but I also feel something so amazing. I feel so amazing about it. And I find uh, uh, every time I teach something, I find, oh, this is something, oh, this is what it means. Ah, so it's it's a it's a it's a beautiful experience to be um, to to keep going deeper down this path, and I would I would really it's my it's my intention that that everyone on this planet experiences that stillness that 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 headspace without any turbulence without effort you know the the underlying underlined words are without effort. Mm. Kushal, that's amazing. It's so cool that you get to give back in a way that also gives back to yourself and, and feeds your spirit. It's really beautiful. If you had to share one, one takeaway from this conversation with the listener, what would you want them to know? One takeaway, um, perhaps that, uh, this life is a, is a game. Look at this life as, as a happening. Um, and, and just, move through it with ease be be natural it's it's a gift to be able to be natural uh in all circumstances mm. i think we just take everything so seriously all the time and have all these fixed ideas of the way life needs to go it's a really beautiful message that we can just kind of slow down and stop and you know appreciate life for what it is and not try to force it in any particular way you've made it sound so simple and effective we really appreciate that kushal where do you want people to go to find you and connect with you in your work um meet me in the pages of my book um on a wing and a prayer uh, it's called On a Wing and a Prayer, Spirituality for the Reluctant, the Curious, and the Seeker. <laughs> and uh, I'm on my website, kushalchoksi.com, my first name and last name, .com, or on social media handles, on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, but yeah, I would love to hear from you if any of this resonated with you, or if, if, or if this kind of, um, you know, to your curiosity to take the next step, I would be very, very grateful. That's amazing. We will help as much as we can. We will definitely tag that in the show notes so people can go and find you and report back on how this has changed your life. Kushal Choksi, uh, author of On a Wing and a Prayer, thank you so very much for your experiences, the trauma that you faced, um, you know, the courage that it took for you to find a way past it and find a way to cope, and then to share it with others and to share it so um, freely and, and, you know, in such an easy and effortless way. We really appreciate that. We appreciate you and your life. And thank you so much during your busy season of making chocolate to come onto our show and share your message. We really appreciate you and everything you've done. Such a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Casey. Absolutely. It was an honor. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio.
So thank you again so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. I can't thank you, the listener, enough. We are so grateful for you. This year, 2021, was amazing. We got to talk to so many amazing people around the world and got to learn so much from them. And we actually just passed 80,000 downloads worldwide, which I just, when I started this, could not even fathom that we could reach that many people with the message. And hopefully you have gotten a lot out of this, um, as, as have we. Um, As we start the new year, we just wanted to let you know about some of the resources that we offer at Boundless Body LLC. Please go to our website, which is myboundlessbody.com. That's myboundlessbody.com. You will see an option to book a complimentary 30-minute consultation with us so that we can discuss your goals with health and fitness and maybe help you create a plan for the new year. Bethany, my wife, also offers uh, virtual mat Pilates classes, which are absolutely amazing. They're very engaging and also very, very affordable. Those can be done live on Mondays and Fridays or also given out as a recording to do at your own convenience. We also offer training and meal planning services that are also done virtually from the safety of your own home. So if you want to avoid the busyness of a gym, we can help show you how to get really fantastic results at home with a very minimal amount of equipment. We've been doing it now for two years. We've gotten pretty good at it. So we are happy to show you that. Once again, that website is myboundlessbody.com. And if you are enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple. It really helps um, get this passion project out to more people. So cheers to 2022. And thank you again for listening to Boundless Body Radio.